Welcome everyone to the Fantasy and Betting Podcast presented by the 33rd Team. I'm your host as always, Josh Larkey. Last week we had JJ Zacharyson on the pod and this week we have another special guest. And I'll turn it over to my co-host Ryan Reynolds to introduce a very good friend of his. Yeah, Josh, when we first started this podcast, I, we were talking about guests. I had one name that was definitely at the top of the list for me since the beginning, and that's Establish the Runs, Evan Silva. Evan, I'm sure the people are interested in how you're doing today, but we're, we're going to jump right into things anyway. Uh, cool. You, when I appeared on the Establish the Run podcast with you and Evan, or you and Adam, rather, two months ago or so, you liked Nick Chubb as an offensive player of the year bet at 40 to 1 odds. That he is no longer 40 to one, but your reasoning behind that made me higher on him in fantasy, premium offensive line, very little backfield competition. That said, I'm curious what you think about Deshaun Watson this year and the Browns overall outlook. So I like the Browns a lot. I mean, I think they've got one of the best rosters in the league. I think they're going to be really good. I've actually seen a lot of projections, even like smart analytical projections that have them finishing fourth in the AFC North. I, I guess I just disagree with him. Um, Deshaun Watson, you know, and for reasons that probably he caused, was in a very difficult situation last year, played what the final six games, um, uh, multiple of those games, and he didn't play well, okay? Multiple of those games were affected severely by weather, um, and he did play better in the final two games. I believe it was week 17 where – uh, he won me money in DFS. He had a big game in week 17. We know that the guy's really talented. He's further removed from the accusations. Um, I like, I think Kevin Stefanski is a, a super smart coach. And again, the roster is really, really strong. Andrew Barry's one of my favorite GMs in the league, the way that he's constructed the team. So I think that, and look, I, I would not bet on Deshaun Watson for MVP. He's never going to win an MVP because you got to get votes from the writers and he's not getting any votes from the writers, but I, I have him in my second tier of quarterbacks for fantasy with Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Now, if you look at my top 150, he is significantly lower than them, but he's still in that tier. Um, and I've been drafting him at a pretty prolific clip on underdog so far. He's very easy to stack with David Njoku and or Donovan Peoples-Jones. Let's actually stick with the quarterbacks that you just mentioned with Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. You have them very, very close together in your rankings. Mm -hmm. The industry disagrees. Uh, the consensus has Burrow generally at least around ahead of Herbert. And I know that mm -hmm. Ryan and I are kind of with you here where if we're looking at fantasy points, Herbert had at least 22 fantasy points a game his first two seasons prior to the, the rib cartilage injury, all of the receivers getting injured. Burrow last year didn't even hit 22 fantasy points a game. So essentially, Herbert's floor through two seasons was higher than Burrow's ceiling last year. The betting markets think Herbert's going to pass for more yards than Joe Burrow. What else is uh, propelling Herbert up for you? Because people still think of these quarterbacks as markedly different. Um, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I would agree that that's like the general public sentiment. Um, Joe Burrow is just much high, more highly regarded really by, you know, casual football fans. Um, you know, they've seen him go deep in the playoffs that hasn't happened with Justin Herbert. So I get it. Uh, at the same time, like Justin Herbert is due for some serious positive regression to the mean, uh, with his touchdown rate and moving on from Joe Lombardi to Kellen Moore, I think is going to help propel him 
to taking a significant step in his in the fourth year of his career. He played with one arm last year. It was painful to watch him for the really the majority of the season. Uh, and his physical skill set is just outrageous. And I think that they're going to maximize that under Kellen Moore with Mike Williams back healthy. And they used a first round pick on Quentin Johnston and Keenan El- and Keenan Allen is back healthy. And they've got the best receiving back in the league in Austin Eckler. And they're getting back Rayshon Slater, one of the, the better left tackles in the league. And the dude who filled in for him, Jamari Sawyer, is now a start, and he played really well, is now a starting guard for them. In, and they used a first-round pick last year on Zion Johnson. They got uh, to be their left guard. They signed Corey Lindsley from, uh, from the Packers to be their starting center. Um, and then they've got Trey Pipkins back at right tackle, and he was kind of like a pleasant surprise for them. Uh they're going to have a good offensive line. They've got explosive weapons, and Justin Herbert is a baller, and they're going to be way better coached. And so I'm projecting a leap for Justin Herbert into the Joe Burrow scoring range. And still stick with quarterbacks. One of the one of the guys that I think is an important solve this year for fantasy is Anthony Richardson. I kind of sneaky liked his landing spot because Sean Steichen's an adaptive, he was an adaptive play caller in Philly in 2021. They were run heavy because Jalen Hurts was struggling as a passer a little bit. They made the offense more run centric, leaned on their offensive line more. And then as we all know, last year they dialed up the passing game a little bit more, traded for AJ Brown. Kind of like two entirely different offenses from a macro sense. With a, I don't, I don't think calling them similar players is fair. But Hertz is a high end runner. Richardson's a high end runner with at least an interesting ceiling as a passer. Um, so I expect them to take the same approach with Richardson this year. Run centric offense next year. Maybe they dial up the aggressiveness a little bit. So, Evan, first, what do you think? When do you think Richardson takes over? And what are your overall thoughts on his fantasy prospects this season? Well, both Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, and Shane Steichen, the uh, Colts new head coach have come out and said publicly and it, it almost seems like it's a mandate from Jim Ursay, really and at this point he's kind of like I would consider him a meddlesome owner um, but I, they both come out publicly and said that Anthony Richardson is going to play early take his lumps to me that is the best way to develop get better at anything you know you can you can sit there and watch somebody type on the keyboard but you're not going to be good you know as, as a, a, a typist until you actually do that yourself. And that's the that's the case for everything. So, you know, this idea that people have, oh, he can sit and develop. No, the way that you develop is by doing the shit. And so I agree with that approach. However, sub 55% completion rate at Florida, 13 career starts. Um, you know, I've heard that he had a really, really rough, Anthony Richardson had a really, really rough uh, mini camp and rookie camp and all that, like he just looked unready. So there is a scenario where they can go into the season with, you know, a professional quarterback and Gardner Minshew. And I think that that would be a better situation actually for like Michael Pittman. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence with Anthony Richardson right now. I, initially, I had, I had him as like the 75th overall player. I was very excited about him. But as I kind of heard more stuff and really l- learned more about him as a player and really looked at the construction of the roster. They've got two big holes on the offensive line. Uh, they've got Michael Pittman and not a whole lot else uh, in terms of their receiver core. Um, I moved them all the way down into like the 120s. He's my quarterback 12 overall right now. I get the upside. The dude could run for 800 yards. Like that That would surprise no one if he can start 15 games and run for you know, 800, 900 yards. Like that is squarely within his range of potential outcomes. But I, I'm worried that that, that Shane Steichen is going to look at him on the training camp practice field and be like, and, and, and you know, there, there's a level of like in the locker room, 
Like the offensive line, the receivers, all these dudes are watching the quarterbacks in practice. If it's clear that Gardner Minshew is the better option early in the season, I mean, Shane Steichen can't just start Anthony Richardson. Like he's a rookie coach, man. You know, so it, he's very boomer bust. Anthony Richardson, very boomer bust to me. I'm currently working on my quarterback rankings, and I think that's probably where he's going to settle in. It seems like the market has Richardson kind of the QB 9 10 range. I think he'll ultimately be in that 12 to 13 range for me as well. Now, turning to uh, running backs in the betting market, you hit on Jamal Williams last year to lead the league in rushing touchdowns at 100 to 1. As Ryan mentioned before, you bet Nick Chubb to win Offensive Player of the Year at 40 to 1. Do you have any other deep long shots that are worth mentioning to our listeners? Uh, I saw it recently suggested on Twitter Rashad Penny to lead the NFL in rushing at 65 to 1. I think that actually a guy tweeted me and Ryan about it. I, I said, yeah, I said, go for it. Ryan was a little bit more cautious, but I get it that there's not a better futures analyst you know, on the planet at least when it comes to NFL, than Ryan Reynolds. Um, but I, I, I do think that's one, that one is interesting. I mean, anything at like, you start to get into the 60 to ones, anywhere in that range from 60 to one to 101, like I'm never going to say no to that. Rashad Penny is an awesome situation. Obviously, he's got to stay healthy, blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of running backs there. But I mean, he's clearly the best between the tackles runner, uh, running behind the, you know, probably the best offensive line in the league in an offense that we know is going to be really freaking good so i thought that that was an interesting one yeah i agree with you on that actually i uh it's not the thing that i would go in my way to bet but it's also the thing how i frame it is i wouldn't talk you out of that either mm -hmm. now you know i think you'd agree with this evan you and i tend to see things similarly more often than not we've drafted teams together where we're regularly on the same page i've been continuing to take kenneth walker and when i saw where you had him where i saw where you had him in your top 150 oh, yeah. i was thrilled that we were aligned that we're both bullish on him Another guy that I that we're both above market on is last year you took Damian Pierce to win Offensive Rookie of the Year when he was sixty five to one in May. I thought that was actually it didn't end up hitting, but I thought that was one of the best bets I saw anyone make last year because he was in the mix for at least half a season as a major long shot, and that's that's a race too where usually more times than not first round picks win. So with that said, hopefully C.J. Stroud's a quarterback upgrade for Houston. I, their their offensive line's better with the addition of Shaq Mason. I think they have top ten upside as a group. That if Div if Devin Singletary was a difference maker, it'd still be in Buffalo, so he doesn't really scare me. What do you think about Damian Pierce? What do you think about Damian Pierce this year in fantasy? I like him. I've got him um, right next to Miles Sanders right now. Um, he was a big draft winner because I mean there there were rumors that the Texans might take Bijan Robinson. Um, yeah, and they really didn't make any. You know, Devin Singletary is like small and slow. Uh, Damian Pierce can play on all three downs. He looked really good. He kind of ran, ran out of gas, you know, which you, you understand, like, their season had crumbled, and uh, he wasn't even a full-time back at Florida. So he, um, it's not surprising in hindsight that he kind of just ran out of gas late in the season. But, yeah, there there were points in the season where he looked like he was going to be the O'Roy. You know, he was going to be the offensive rookie of the year. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's set up for a lot of volume. He could play on all three downs, and the Texans are going to be better. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be good but I think they're going to be better. Uh, and, you know, he, he can absolutely benefit uh, in positive game script. So I like him as a, a solid RB2 in fantasy. One of the interesting things about this show for me is I've, I've applied for work in this industry in two companies, and you guys are the two guys that hired me, essentially. So one thing that all three of us have in common is we're range of outcomes guys. And I think we can collectively illustrate how that works through Alexander Madison. Josh hates Alexander Madison to the point he has him outside his top 25 running backs. 
Evan, on the other hand, the big dog over here, but on Alexander Madison to lead the league in rushing at 41. So first, Josh, let's start. Give us your bear case on Alexander Madison. All right. So I, I looked at every game of Madison's career where his snap share was at least 50%. That's happened five times. It happened first in 2020 against the Lions. He had mm-hmm. 29 and a half PPR fantasy points. The Lions allowed the third most overall fantasy points that year to running backs. 2021. He faces the Seahawks and he has 23 fantasy points. They allowed the most fantasy points to running backs that year. Then he faced Detroit twice in 2021 as the starter. Detroit once again allowed the third most fantasy points to running backs and he had 26 and 21 fantasy points. Then he faced the Rams in his final start. They allowed the fifth fewest fantasy points to running backs and Madison had a dip, but he still put up 16 fantasy points. That's pretty good. But then you look and you see that he had 41 rushing yards three catches for 29 yards. It was really a rushing touchdown that salvaged his day. Though we do like some of that receiving usage. Overall, when we zoom out, he's never had 500 rushing yards in any season. Obviously, that's not going to happen when you're behind Dalvin Cook. But at the same time, 2022 was a career low for him in carries and total yards. He then signs the two-year $7 million deal. Running backs have been rallying against low salaries this offseason. It's kind of strange then to think that Madison would take such a low deal and then kind of expect a massive workload when every other running back has kind of been fighting against that. And then Vikings.com had a piece recently where they discussed how head coach Kevin O'Connell wants to prioritize recovery and that they said the way they were reading between the lines was that it's probably some type of committee. The Vikings do have a history of bell cow usage with running backs. But that also makes sense when you have Adrian Peterson from 07 to 2016 and then Dalvin Cook from 2017 to 2022. Madison also over the past two seasons has averaged nearly a full yard per carry less than Dalvin Cook behind the same offensive line and while getting fewer touches. So Dalvin Cook was better rested or uh, Madison was better rested than Dalvin during a lot of those games. The way I see it, round four, round five, that's too pricey for me to pay for what should be a lesser talented 1A committee back for a good Vikings offense. That's Jay Larky tweets on Twitter. Evan, give us your bull case, pal. Well, I really appreciate Larky's in-depth, microscopic examination of Alexander Madison's five career starts. Uh, That's what Larky (laughs) does, okay? I mean, I followed Larky for years at this point, and... He's a very in-depth, thorough analyst, okay? I just, I don't think that we need to go into that level of detail in this particular instance because Alexander Madison is going to be, I mean, I I, I think he projects as uh, a workhorse running back in a top 10 offense, and that's almost all we need to know. He can play in the passing game. He weighs 221 pounds. In those, I mean, we've seen past coaching staffs be willing to feed him as a workhorse. He looks the part. Um, and they feel comfortable with that. He can pass protect. Uh, I know the, the the numbers on his contract uh, resigning were not big, two years, seven million, but it, it's like almost a fully guaranteed contract, which you don't see very often, especially for running backs. Last year, Dalvin Cook, and I know that there are some issues with the, uh, the 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 yards per carry. Alexander Madison is not a home run hitting back, so he's I mean he's a grinder. You know, he's he's a grinder back, and that's what he is, and he's probably going to average 4.1 yards per carry, but I think he's got, you know, or maybe 3.9 even, but I think he's got very high touchdown upside uh, because the offense is going to score points, and he's built to execute at the goal line. Um, Dalvin Cook last year finished 64th 
in PFF rushing grade, Alexander Madison was 16th. Um, Dalvin Cook leaves behind the six most carries in the NFL, the fifth most red zone touches, and the second most route runs, routes run among running backs. So just an immense amount of opportunity. I like Ty Chandler as a late round draft pick, but the dude's built like a wide receiver. I mean, he's five foot 11, 204. Okay, that is not that's a that's a change of pace back, and he's really fast. He he ran he ran four three eight coming out one point four ten yard split. Okay, he's a home run hitter. Okay, he's he's your Tevin Coleman RBBC uh, you know uh, compliment. Um, Kenny Nwangwu, we're we're just examining the backfield because I you know I want to proje- I want to and I do project Alexander Madison as a workhorse for these reasons. Kenny Nwangwu is not really a running back; he's a a return man. And then seventh round pick Dwayne McBride, you know, he's just going to try to make the 53 and then maybe be active on game days, but he probably won't be because it'll be Alexander Madison, Ty Chandler and Kenny Nwongwu. So, you know, we, we just have two different points of view on this player. Um, and I understand, I don't even necessarily think that Alexander Madison is that good. I just think that he can get 300 touches in a top 10 offense. And that's like pretty much all I need to know. That's how you build a range of outcomes for a player. Joss is a strong bear case on Alexander Madison. And everything Evan just said makes sense too. Very good spot. Even if Alexander Madison isn't an overly talented player or a, or a difference maker even, he isn't He is in a good situation. Now let's do the same thing for a wide receiver where I think the gap's closer here on Debo Samuel for both of you guys. Josh has faded Debo Samuel at this point at cost. Evan's a little higher the consensus on Debo. Josh, why don't you start us off with your bear case on, on Debo Samuel? Yeah, with Debo, I think just to begin, anyone that would make me pretty insecure when I see what they look like, I'm probably going to fade the player. So Debo right there has it going against him. This guy's an absolute monster. And his points per game in fantasy, unfortunately, they just don't quite look monstrous. 2019, 12 and a half. 2020, 11 and a half. 2021, he had 21 fantasy points a game. But then 2022, it was back to 13. 12 and a half, 11 and a half, 21, 13. I can find the outlier there. First off, he's just a major injury risk at all times. He plays the game very hard. He invites contact every single time he touches the ball. That one season, 2021, where he has the elite fantasy production, there were a lot of hole-in-ones that he really hit there. So first off, he had a, a catch rate above 60% with more than 18 yards per reception. That's happened one other time in the past 20 years. Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is much faster than Debo. That, that's probably just unsustainable efficiency. On the ground, it was unsustainable for Debo that year as well. He had eight rushing touchdowns on 59 carries. Essentially, every seven carries he scored. Jamal Williams led the NFL with 17 rushing touchdowns last year. He scored once every 15 carries. Debo was scoring more than twice as often per carry that year. For me, I think Debo and Ayuk probably have similar fantasy seasons. I think both of those guys should probably go somewhere in the fourth to fifth round. So with Debo going in the third round, I'm simply just not as interested at that price tag. Evan, your bull case on Debo Samuel. Um, Again, I can't dispute anything that Larky said there. Um, We had a hard fade on Debo Samuel last year coming off that insanely uh, efficient 2021 season, eight receiving or eight rushing touchdowns. He's freaking ridiculous. Um, and, and so is 18.2 yards per reception, which led the league that year. Uh, and it's absolutely true that even going back to South Carolina, and I think this is why Debo Samuel actually went in the second round of the NFL draft is because he was often injured. He plays the game super hard. He's a violent player out there at the same time. And, you know, sometimes I get biased about certain players because 
you know, to me, like Debo Samuel can be like a, a big time spiked week player. And right now, all my drafts are best ball. So I like taking players like that in best ball that can give me spiked weeks. Um, so it's possible that I, I lower Debo Samuel uh, in my rankings as we move more into redraft season long. Um, but I think I'm still going to be, dra- be drafting it because I love the way that Brock Purdy, who's just the ultimate Shanahanian point guard distributor, just gets the ball to the receivers, you know. And um, and that's what you want with Debo Samuel because he's so good after contact, after the catch. So I love the way that they complement each other as talents. And I think that Debo Samuel, well, right now he's – oh, there there were also – there were reports that he showed up like out of shape uh, last year. And now, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos online, but I mean, the dude is built like a brick shit house right now. And then he, I mean, he looks great. He's been like doing boxing and stuff. I mean, he looks great. Um, so – I'm buying him as a bounce back player after fading him last year. And, but I, I get the concerns that all those concerns are very real. Yeah. I have to say that's definitely a fate of mine that, that scares me quite a bit since, well, we both don't think Madison's necessarily the most talented, awesome situation. I think we'd both agree. Debo, probably one of the five most talented receivers in the NFL in terms of the, the overall skill set. Let's take a break now from some player takes Evan you're maybe the biggest name in the industry at this point. And I think not only that, but You've helped start the careers of so many analysts in this space, like Ryan Reynolds, where he self-identifies as an Evan Silva guy. If you could give a new content creator one piece of advice, what would it be? And this is actually an easy one for me because it um because I used to do this all the time. I don't do it as much anymore. I'm not like as prolific on Twitter as I used to be. I used to tweet like freaking 25 times a day. And now I just especially like during the pandemic, I'm like, I I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I don't want, I'm not sitting inside on my computer anymore. Like I want to live my life. So, I mean, obviously I'm still very much into it, but you know, I I just, I don't tweet all the time um, anymore. Uh, But what I used to do is I would help promote others. Like I'd read somebody else's work and then instead of like, um, you know, and then I tweet it out. And then that person would really, really appreciate that. And they might tweet out something, you know, that, that, that I wrote. And so helping other people um, is something that other people appreciate. You know, I know that there are some people that are like, oh, you know, don't help, don't promote others, you know, but I mean, promoting others helps that person immensely. And, and that comes back around. Um, so that, that's an easy one for me. Actually, I, I've been asked that question multiple times and that, that's my answer every single time is that to, to help other people, promote other people's work, uh, pay it forward, you know? That's Evan Silva and I guess what's called X now. You're already following him, but if, just in case you're not, you should, you should get on that. Uh, and like Evan said, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story here. I had 40 Twitter followers when Evan gave me my shot, you know? And he tweeted me out one night and suddenly I think I had 1800 in a matter of hours, you know, like, like a third of my Twitter following today is because of that tweet. And, you know, I'll say more nice things about Evan at the end of this, but definitely he's an expert in a number of ways, but definitely, definitely, definitely when it comes to how to make it in this industry, he's the guy to listen to. Now, months ago, when I joined you and Adam on Establish the Run's flagship show, you asked me about the influence of advanced data in awards markets. I've sat on that and thought about it a little bit more. And ultimately, I think it depends on the individual voter. Let's take EPA, for instance. I think it's a good guideline stat, but what was it, Josh? Sam Darnold was third in the league in AP- EPA through five or six weeks last year. Yeah, I remember D- Sam Darnold was, was top 10, I, I think at multiple points last year. 
I mean, it's a smart concept. It's a nice general guide, but it's clearly very flawed if it's treating Sam Darnold, who was a game manager for an average Panthers team, as a high echelon quarterback. And, you know, another thing, like a data-driven voter may lean on numbers like that, especially ones that they're pushing as part of their product. And I say this all the time. I've, I've, done, awards, I've done awards content and established a run for four years now. I'm still doing it there. Um, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter who we think is going to win an, emotes, an awards market. It's who voters are going to vote for. And for former players, coaches, and front office members, I'm sure they're, most of them are aware of EPA, but do I think they're giving it less weight than a data analyst would? Absolutely. You know, hopefully one day soon, Josh, we'll have an opportunity to ask a few of those guys some questions to see what they actually specifically think. And, you know, that said, Evan, I am very curious. If you were an, if you were an awards market voter, what would your conditions be for the MVP race? Well, and I know some people don't like to hear this, but they got to be a quarterback because that position moves the needle more than any other position in any professional sport. Um, so they have to be a quarterback, period. And there is no scenario where it can be any other position because those other positions just simply don't matter as much. And it's not even close. Um, I, I do agree with uh, the notion that they need to be on a winning team um, that is highly competitive, um, ideally a Super Bowl contender. And they have to, and they have to be a dominant player at their position. So pretty simple. Uh, the EPA discussion and and PFF has really pushed that. Kevin Cole and Timo Risky, super smart guys. Okay, they add a lot to the conversation. Um, but the EPA discussion, like it's interesting because look, they're data analysts and they've gone back and they looked at um, you know over the course of time, over the years, these. Uh, EPA number dominators are the guys who win MVP. That really shouldn't surprise anybody that really good players are winning MVP, right? I mean, that's the whole freaking point. So what you you want to get in the minds of the voters, you know, you you want to try like again, Deshaun Watson could lead the lead the NFL in EPA this year. But he didn't win an MVP. Okay. You have to get in the minds of the voters. And I think that that's the best way to figure out who is going to win MVP. But th- those would be my three simple basic criteria has to be on a really good team has to play quarterback and has to be a dominant player one thing that ryan's told me is that when he's drafted teams with you that's been a super helpful experience for him seeing how you operate and handle different situations how you're handling uncertainty if you could give a pretty casual fantasy player that's drafting a few teams a year one piece of advice what would that strategic info be Draft early and often would, would be one piece of advice. Like get on underdog. Look, if you don't have a lot of money, that's fine. Play, you know, dollar dollar drafts or $3 drafts. You know, if, if you got some disposable income, you know, play the $25 entries, you know, wh- whatever. Just draft early and often, get in reps, get practice. Again, what's the best way to get better at anything in the world is to just do it a lot, you know, so do that. And also, I, I like that you bring up the fact that I've drafted teams with Brian Reynolds. I love drafting with another person, you know, um, being on a on a Zoom call and, you know, drafting an FFPC main event team with two or three, you know, we get together, you know, we each put in, I don't know, whatever, you know, to, to pay the $2,000 entry and we draft together and it's so fun. First of all, it's so fun. Second of all, exactly what Ryan said, like you can learn from the other, the other person, you know, you can think about their, their thought process. It also teaches you compromise 
because inevitably you're going to come to a point in your draft where it's like, no, I don't want this guy. I want this guy. And you guys have to work it out. And then maybe with your next pick, then you defer to the other person. So it's just like, it's, it's a fun, legit, genuine experience. And, um, I love drafting with with another person, if not two or three other people. Yeah, my my biggest takeaway from the you know I don't know exactly how many teams we've drafted together, but it's definitely been at least a handful or more. My, the biggest take, the biggest thing that I learned from you is you're you're borderline ruthless about cutting a mid to late round player that's not performing. I remember we drafted a team where we're both stylistically similar like this. We prefer to take tight ends late. And like Chris Herndon had the most upside for us. And I remember like you cut him after like three weeks. I was like, oh my God, dude, like I know he's failing, but we got nothing else in the, in the holster here, man. But I, I learned from you in that moment. And speaking of, speaking of, you know, volatile situations and uncertainty, all of a sudden Baltimore has a lot of pass catchers for Lamar Jackson. So I'm curious, how are you handling the Ravens in fantasy and what's your overall team outlook for Baltimore? Yeah, this is a good, good one because... I mean, I think that the trajectory is really, really promising for this offense. I've always loved Todd Monken. We heard, was it James Jones, who, you know, obviously played in the NFL for a long time, but he's now like basically a reporter for NFL Network. He was talking with Todd Monken and, and Todd Monken told him, we're taking Lamar back to Louisville. We're going to spread this thing out. We've got, you know, Mark Andrews, who, by the way, played in a spread at Oklahoma. We've got Isaiah Likely, uh, who really flashed as a rookie tight end. We've got four legit starting caliber receivers if you include well zay flowers apparently has been tearing it up um and then uh rashad bateman and then odell beckham and then uh nelson aguilar who's one of the better fourth receivers in the league so they have the personnel to spread it out and do this and um todd monken has an awesome track record of engineering offenses and i think that at the end of the day to answer your question the best ways i think to get access to this offense is lamar jackson who is I have it ranked ahead of Patrick Mahomes, and uh, he goes like two rounds after Patrick Mahomes in drafts. So people are kind of scared of him. He's kind of gotten banged up the last two years, but man, we know that, that dude can drop forty balls on a weekly basis. And in this kind of an environment, I think he's going to have several forty balls uh, this season. And then Mark Andrews, who I mean is just an absolute beast, and I think is going to score twelve, you know, ten, twelve touchdowns this year. Um, and, and, and maybe, maybe finally pass Travis Kelsey as the number one overall fantasy tight end. I'm glad you mentioned the, the upside with Lamar and how you have him ahead of Mahomes, because as I've been working on my quarterback rankings, I keep going back to that Lamar 2019 season when he had the most fantasy points per game of a quarterback ever. And his supporting cast is now significantly better for this upcoming season. Let's talk about another pretty hot button team. The New York jets, Aaron Rodgers is their new quarterback. Garrett Wilson goes at the one-two turn of fantasy drafts. He had that 1,100-yard, pretty incredible rookie season when he's playing with Trey Umverit, uh, but was it Joe Flacco, Mike White, Zach Wilson. None of these guys are named Aaron Rodgers. How do you view Rodgers in year one with the Jets? It, how are you handling Garrett Wilson? And is there any other Jet that you really want to highlight in this passing attack? Yeah, the Jets are a little bit of a conundrum for me right now because there is this, um, I don't know how, how many... Uh, attempts they're going to have, you know, in the passing game, because, and look, you know, PFF has done a, a very good job of showing that uh, defensive efficiency is not, or actually football outsiders, I think started this defensive year over year, defensive efficiency is not like correlated or uh, even necessarily predictable every year defenses fall off. But Robert Sally is like, he's had a lot of success uh, engineering defenses and they just have a lot of freaking talent 
on their defense. I mean, every single position they've got, they've got big time dudes. Um, so, I, you know, that can hinder offensive performance at times. I think that I've aired Rogers some like quarterback 15 or quarterback 16 haven't really been taking them. Uh, I have Garrett Wilson, I think wide receiver 11. I haven't really been getting them. I mean, I think that I think he's a baller, but uh, I'm worried about just the overall uh, pass volume of the offense. Aaron Rodgers is a guy who tends to play favorites. He's got his boy there, Alan Lazard. Corey Davis, they haven't gotten rid of. They even signed Randall Cobb. Uh, Nicole Hardman is there. Um, and I think they're going to end up running the ball a lot and playing really good defense. And so can and, – and people just seem to be locking it in that, you know, Garrett Wilson is going to be an absolute stud with Aaron Rodgers – and I mean, look, I have him as a, a, a low end wide receiver one. So I think he's going to have a good season, too. I just I, I'm not quite as high on him, I think, as uh, as consensus. You know, the Saints are an interesting team to me because I don't think they're like I think they're kind of an average roster, maybe like slightly above average roster. I'm not really like bullish on them as a team, but their their, their schedule is so easy that it makes them very dangerous. I'm, I'm way overweight on Jamal Williams because of this. Uh Offensive line's pretty strong. Maybe Alvin Kamara gets suspended. I'm also above market on Chris Olave. I've, you know, bet on his over in props. I bet on the win of offensive player of the year at long odds. I think it was 75 to 1 when I got him. Uh, I just think the upside's very interesting because of the schedule. Uh, are, are we on the same page with New Orleans? I saw Adam actually, Adam Levitan actually posted, uh, he bet on them to be the last undefeated team at 31, 31 to 1. I thought that was very smart. I was kind of thinking of something similar. So are we all on the same page here? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really like Derek Carr. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Not a Derek Carr guy. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. This is what Adam posted in the Saints' first ten games. They're going to be facing Ryan Tannehill, Bryce Young, Jordan Love, Baker Mayfield, Mac Jones, C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence is good, Anthony Richardson, Justin Fields, and Kirk Cousins. Those, those are the first ten quarterbacks that they're scheduled to face, and that's before any dudes get injured. So. You know, also very possible that they end up facing some actual backups during that uh, that that ten game time span. Um, yeah, I don't really like their their roster. I'm with you on that, and I really don't like Derek Carr, and I don't really like uh, their their OC Pete Carmichael. I've heard not great things about him. Um, Alvin Kamara is suspended for well, he's going to be suspended, I think, for probably the first four games, if not the first six. I've been taking a lot of Jamal Williams as well, Kendra Miller. Who they draft in the third round, who I think is really good, but uh, I heard that he was he showed up out of shape in the off season. He's coming off this MCL, and um and, and he started camp on the NFI list, so that's a little scary. I've been taking Jamal Williams. I mean, he's gonna he's he's one of these RBs that coaches like to play because he doesn't fumble, because he he pass protects. He's gonna get what's blocked. He's like a really good guy. I mean, he's like a gregarious character. Everybody likes him. And I think he's virtually assured of, at very least, leading the Saints in touches in the first four games during Kamara's suspension. And, and again, they have the weak schedule, and that, that can be very friendly for a running back like Jamal Williams. Yeah, when we did our own internal strength of schedule metrics, we had the Saints as the easiest schedule by quite a bit. The only teams that I think we could say are comfortably above average NFL teams that they play are the Jaguars and the Lions, and those are both home games. And I wouldn't even, I don't think any of us would say that those are like the, the truly top tier teams. So definitely uh, an interesting balance with the schedule. Seems like the three of us all kind of agree. Jamal Williams, probably the place to go there. Now we, we talked about Derek Carr. You're not a big Derek, 
car guy. I wouldn't say either of us are either. And I would also say definitively that I at least, Ryan at least, and maybe you're the same, are not Jimmy Garoppolo guys. The Raiders are probably getting some type of downgrade going from Carr to Garoppolo. How are you viewing the Raiders this year for fantasy with Adams and Jacobs still quite expensive? Yeah. And Josh Jacobs, I mean, apparently he he already left Las Vegas. I, I'm worried that he's going to actually miss time, uh, you know, due to the, uh, due to the contract situation. I mean, I, I actually, I would say I think he's going to miss time. Like he's going to sit out games. Uh, I don't think Saquon will, maybe one game. But Josh Jacobs is the guy that I'm like legit worried about. And at this point, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not taking him in drafts. And and you know these Patriots guys that that run the uh, that run the Raiders, Josh McDaniels and their GM, all you know they're all like cronies and they they draw lines in the sand with players, especially with regard to contract situations. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo had with the the foot injury, but he avoided pup to start. Uh, camp and he it sounds like he's all systems go I think when you take Devonte Adams in the late first round or in the early second round and then you come back and get Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback two or ideally your quarterback three uh, like on underdog or DraftKings or wherever you're playing best ball I think that that makes sense as like a sneaky cheap super cheap stack um, because the target competition is significantly lowered really for Devontae Adams, they did bring in Jacoby Myers, who I think, I mean, he's going to be a factor, but, you know, he's kind of like a replacement level, maybe a little bit better talent. And then Hunter Renfro is doesn't seem like one of Josh McDaniels' guys. And, of course, they got rid of Darren Waller. And now they've got Austin Hooper, who is very league average. And then Michael Mayer, who I love, but, you know, he's a rookie tight end. So the target competition is virtually non I shouldn't say it's virtually non-existent. It's very light for Devontae Adams. Uh, and, I mean, I think he's going to just – vacuum in targets yet again i know one team we've all been bullish on because we have future bets on them is the seattle seahawks um solid offensive line excellent skill group what i'm most excited about is the defense got so much better they added four or five new difference makers for their defense so i think they're you know at, at the top of the nfc i think we're looking at philly san francisco and dallas and then i think detroit and seattle are the next tier so i think they could be a little frisky a little dangerous however i think I, i've been Warming up to this idea where, you know, watching film, Geno Smith's very pressure sensitive. I know Josh is a guy who who thinks sacks are a quarterback stat. And I know I'm sitting there watching Geno Smith reps. I'm just like, oh, man, like if I was going to argue against this this stance, I'd have to ignore the existence of Geno Smith because he's he's a little dicey in a muddy pocket. So I think that said, like he made some high, high uh difficulty throws last year that just blew my mind he was consistent for most of the year faded a little bit down the stretch so i'm curious what's your overall stance on seattle and are you concerned at all that geno smith maybe turns back into a pumpkin after a, a season last year that no one saw coming <laughs> yeah um i think it's a very fair question uh i think that there is so much talent around him to prop him up that and, and i think that he's a guy that entered the league and he was really immature you remember he like didn't pay off a bet and like some dude smoked him in the face and he like broke his jaw and you know, he just kind of entered the league like a little immature. And I, I was immature as shit when I was 22 years old too. So I, I am not holding that against Same. the guy. Um, and, and yeah. And I think that he has matured as a player. I think he's a leader. You know, he, they, obviously they added Jackson Smith in Jigba who, you know, the, uh, the wide receivers coach at, at Ohio state, Brian Hartline, he rated Jackson Smith and Jigba as more talented than all these other Garrett Wilson, Olave, you know, all these other 
uh, uh, wide receiver talents coming out of Ohio State. Now we only got to see Jackson Smith and Jigba play a couple games last year. He was hurt. Um, but, I mean, he was the first wide receiver drafted. Tyler Lockett is still a baller. He's entering his age 31 season, so you worry about him maybe falling off. But I, I didn't see any fall off from him really last year. DK Metcalf left too many plays on the field last year, but he's got some positive touchdown regression coming for him. He's a double-digit touchdown scorer. And he only scored six last year. And then you talk about the protection and the, and the struggles in a muddy pocket. You know, he was playing with two – Geno Smith was playing with two rookie tackles last year. And they were actually very good for rookies. Uh, but I think that they should get better in their second season. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. And then um, I saw that uh, PFF rated Shane Waldron the well, – I think, I think this will be his third season in Seattle from the Rams, Sean McVay guy. PFF rated him the number four play caller in the NFL. Um, I love this offense. I love Kenneth Murray. I know you, you do too, Ryan. I'm not real worried about Zach Charbonnet. Zach Charbonnet is a, a, a very good handcuff. I think he's going to see, at least to start the season, just like last year. I mean, Rashad Penny was the dude coming out the gates. He gets hurt. Then Kenneth Murray's the dude. I think Kenneth Murray's going to be the dude. I mean, I think they want to have a dude. They're kind of old school coaching staff. You know, they believe in like running back has to get into a rhythm. Um, you know, you got to give them touches. And that's what they're going to do with Kenneth Murray. I mean, Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray was the first round linebacker of the Chargers. Kenneth Walker. <laughs> Charger, yep, yeah. Yeah. As a, as a Chargers fan, yeah. that was yeah. – uh, it was painful because I, I witnessed that yes. draft pick. Didn't like it at the time. We've seen how that aged. Yeah, Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Murray. They didn't even pick up his, his option. Um, but, yeah, Kenneth Walker. I mean, I would take him to lead the NFL in rushing, take him to um, – I mean, if you assume you, you can get good prices, uh, maybe lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns. I, I I am aggressively drafting him, and I like that people are scared of Zach Charbonnet because I'm not. Same on both fronts, and I've thought about making a bet on Walker to lead the league in rushing. So you probably push me over the ledge here, probably as soon as we get off, maybe throw a little wager down on it myself. Now, you know, Evan, you and I talk about awards markets quite often over the last several years. The comeback player of the year market this year is pretty unique because what happened to DeMar Hamlin last year is just something that doesn't happen. So since media members vote on awards markets, there's there's people that are going to vote for him regardless of what kind of impact he has for Buffalo this year, just if he steps on the field. And, you know, and, and on a personal level, I honestly don't entirely blame them either. You know, that said, let's start with you, Evan. What do you think about the, the comeback player of the year market this year? And is there someone you like in it? So I, I, I'm a huge DeMar Hamlin fan. I actually bought uh, one of his shirts, you know, where you're doing the heart or whatever, and I, you know, wear it all the time. Um, big supporter. There is no way in the world that he should be minus 300 or minus 285 or whatever he is to win NFL Comeback Player of the Year because he's not even a starter on the Bills, okay? He, I mean, he's behind Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde, and uh, they brought in uh, Taylor Rapp from the Rams. I mean, he might be the fourth safety. He might be a special teamer this year. I'm rooting for him, okay? Again, I bought one of his shirts. I support him. But this price on him winning Comeback Player of the Year is absolutely ridiculous. And you can get Michael Thomas at 65-1. to 1. This dude hasn't played in years. I mean, he's barely played in years. I think that his skill set as like an interior winner uh, uh, complements Derek Carr's passing style. And by all accounts, Michael Thomas is healthy right now. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there behind Chris Olave. We've seen Michael Thomas, you know, have like what 120 catch seasons or something like that. And 
at 65 to one. He's just, and I, I just bet that before the show. Nice, nice, nice. I like it. Josh, a couple of months ago, you bet on a long shot in this race that, you know, you've gotten some pretty good closing line value to on this point. Why don't you tell us about him? Alexander Madison for MVP. <laughs> At quarterback, I, I bet on Sam Darnold a couple months ago, 75 to one to win comeback player of the year. That's now moved to 30 to one. I wouldn't recommend betting that now, but I'll discuss why I think it was a good bet at the time and why I'm still content with 75 to one. So one thing that we we've seen year after year is that whoever the 49ers quarterback is with Kyle Shanahan calling the plays is going to be incredibly efficient. Jimmy Garoppolo always averaged more than eight yards per pass attempt during his time with the 49ers. Brock Purdy was taken with the last pick in the NFL draft last year. He is thrust into a starting role out of nowhere. What does he do? Of course, he averages more than eight yards per pass attempt. What I liked about Sam Darnold is that Sam Darnold, like you said earlier, Ryan, he actually was kind of good by EPA per play. Not that that's a catch-all metric, but I think it showed that Sam Darnold can at least be a competent game manager. And a competent game manager, as I've already mentioned with the 49ers, is eight yards per attempt. Sam Darnold has the, the former first-round draft capital. Everyone knows his name. The 49ers are almost certainly going to be a playoff team regardless of who's under center. And when I bet this two months ago, there was not a lot of information out about Brock Purdy's injury recovery. And I knew that the team just didn't really like Trey Lance. So I thought, hmm, whoever's the quarterback performs well. If Darnold's there early on in the season and he's playing well, there's a chance they don't turn to Purdy. Maybe Purdy re-injures himself. So 30 to 1, now that we know Purdy's almost certainly playing week one, I wouldn't take that price. But that was initially what I was thinking when I took Darnold at 75 to one a couple months ago. I like that. I liked it at the time. I remember Mike Tannenbaum months ago when we interviewed him said that he thinks that based on when they signed him, that he they basically signed him with the thought that he might be their opening day starter. For me, I'll be honest with you, gentlemen, the DeMar Hamlin situation from a betting standpoint does it, it, it scares me a little bit because I do think the emotional component, especially if he makes his, his debut later in the year, I think that's going to sway a lot of voters. Similar to when Alex Smith returned from his his you know in, leg injury, he became the favorite in the market after one week. Granted, he's a quarterback, different scenario. He actually played pretty well for a commander's team that I think made the playoffs that year. So different scenario, but I am worried. That said, I think Tua Taglio, Tagliovoa probably botched that one a little bit, gentlemen. I think he's in a good situation here. I mean, if we're, we're talking about players that could lead the league in passing yards, if they play a full season, I think he's on the short list of guys who can, given the weapons they have there. Similarly, like Minnesota, Miami, if everything, if everyone stays healthy, you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen and uh, Jalen Waddle. I don't think anyone's ever assembled a duo of speedsters quite like those guys because they're not just burners; they're like complete wide receivers. So the offense is extremely dangerous. But now they brought in Vic Fangio, Jalen Ramsey. They have a pretty good pass rush. If you were, if I was going to pick a long shot to end up as the number one seed in the AFC, it would be the Dolphins. And if that happens and two is the starter for 17 weeks, he's going to be very, very tough to beat. Now, that said, Evan, thank you for coming on. Like I said before, you guys are the two guys that have given me opportunities in this space. So I'm very grateful for both of you. This show in particular means more to me than most for that, for that reason. But I want to, I want to send you off on your way here today with a story of our first phone call. Uh, I've known Evan for five years or so now. Um, we were talking through, uh, I guess, again, I guess it's called X now, XDMs, where, you know, he was at, he was at, uh, Roto World still. And he was, he didn't tell me what he was doing, but I remember messaging him like, you know, you have this amount of followers. And if this percentage of them paid you this amount of money, this is how much money you'd make, Evan. He's like, you know, let's talk in a few months, man. You know, 
and uh, a few months came around and it's, it's like 1130 at night. And, you know, as someone who writes up every game myself now, I now understand why Evan has kind of a, an all over the road schedule because some nights, man, you get like two or three hours sleep and you just grind through. That's the way it is. But Evan, Evan likes to operate late at night and it's, he messaged me on Twitter. He's like, yo, dude, give me your phone number. I'm going to call you in like five minutes. So I'm sitting, sitting next to my then lady friend, you know, just sitting there waiting. And it's like five, six, seven minutes. Then the phone rings. And as you guys can see, I have a, I have a bass voice. I have a pretty loud voice. And her daughter was upstairs sleeping. So I pick up the phone and I run outside. Just like wind sprint, no shoes on, nothing. And I take the phone call in the driveway. And one specific moment I remember is Evan's like, all right, give me like a stance or something, man. I'm like, dude, I'll prepare whatever you want for tomorrow. And Evan's like, how about you give me one now? You know, so for to, to all of you out there, busy guys like Evan that give you your, give you their time. And Evan's a very generous guy. He really is. Bring the stance immediately. And my stance, you know, because I'm a lunatic, uh, I think the first thing we talked about is the Rams and the Panthers were playing on opening day. I was talking about Kawan Short against the Rams new interior because they had a new guard in the offseason. Like that's the first thing I said to him football wise. And you know, he liked that and we talked more. Uh, you know, then it's like a 10, 15 minute conversation. And I walk back inside and you know, the lady friend sitting on the couch with her arms folded. And she just looks at me. She's like, who the expletive was that? And I look at her, I was like, oh that's Evan Silvo. You know, he's like, you know, he he works for NBC. He's like one of the most famous guys in the fam fantasy betting space. And she arms still crossed and she just looks at me and she says, So let me get this straight. You ran out of the house in the middle of the night to talk about a famous guy about football. And you know, fa <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, uh, I had the Twitter DM where I showed her exactly what happened and you know it she she then she didn't believe me until that point because and you know i'll be honest with you my behavior <laughs> did suggest something else was going on but uh, that's uh you know that was my first phone call with evan one of these days man i tell you every year like dude i'm gonna visit you in chicago one of these days i'll actually take some time off and do that get a few beers what's that what's the name of that pizza joint oh yeah peace yeah uh on north avenue yeah i mean anybody in chicago check it out it's, it's not just a great pizza place but like they got like a brewery in there Great place to watch sports. One of my top five places to go in the city for sure. I'm a Jersey guy, so I'll you know I'll figure out how to eat pizza from somewhere else. That's fine. That sounds like a good time. But yeah, dude, we're gonna do that again, man. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for everything, dude. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys.